believe in Allah. Which means that insha'Allah you will enter Jannah. Insha'Allah. Every Muslim will enter Jannah. Every Muslim who never died with shirk will enter Jannah. But I have to say what the Prophet said in general, not to the questioner herself or himself. Herself, because this is a hijab woman. The Prophet and Allah say in, says in the Quran, إِن تَجْتَنِبُوا كَبَائِرَ مَا تُنْهَوْنَ عَنْهُ نُكَفِّرْ عَنْكُمْ سَيِّئَاتِكُمْ وَنُدْخِلْكُمْ مُدْخَلًا كَرِيمًا If you can guarantee, that she, or if you avoid the major sins, I will pardon you from all the minor sins and let you enter Jannah without any punishment. The Prophet also says, any person who dies with a major sin, his matter is to Allah. أَمْرُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ And then he says, each major sin has a punishment. Wherever the Prophet ﷺ says, talks about a punishment or a wa'id from Allah, know that it is a major sin. Since you ask me about hijab, then I say to you that through hadith and dalil, hijab is fard. It's compulsory. Because commanded in the Quran and commanded on the tongue of the Prophet ﷺ in Bukhari and Muslim and Turmud in Abu Dawood and in Nisa'i, Al-Bayhaqi and other books. Hijab is fard, just like salat is fard. And whoever abandons a fard, of course hijab is less than, than, than the prayer, but it is a fard still. Whoever abandons a fard which Allah has commanded, compulsory, then there is a punishment for that. Whether Allah punishes the woman who takes off a hijab or doesn't is his concern. A woman who was a prostitute, as the Prophet ﷺ told us, entered Jannah because she gave a dog water to drink, but she believed in Allah. So who am I to say that a woman who doesn't wear hijab specifically will not enter? But I say that the Prophet ﷺ said, رأيت, I saw in Jahannam people, لم أرهن من قبل قط. I never saw of them or never known of them before. Nisa'un, women. They are clothed, but at the same time, they are still naked. They move from side to side in temptation, tempting men, seductive walks, showing their bodies. Their heads are shaped and fashioned. Yeah, and they like palm trees or humps. And yeah, this is a fashion. They will not enter paradise and they will not be able to smell its fragrance. And although the fragrance of paradise can be smelt from distance of so-and-so, this means that the woman who doesn't wear her hijab and Allah only knows again, in general, Allah only knows of her state. She will not enter Jannah in the beginning when Allah says enter Jannah. But rather she will be detained. Or she will be punished in whatever means Allah knows of. In hellfire. And then she will be saved because of the intercession of the Prophet Now this is in general. This is by default. As you can say. 
But then again, we cannot say who enters and who doesn't. Yani, there was an old woman who was bad to her neighbors. And the, Prophet, and the companions asked him, Ya Rasulullah, she prays a lot and she fasts a lot and donates a lot. In, in the night she prays, but she's bad character to her neighbors. He said, There is no good from her, she is in fire. They said, her neighbor is another woman who doesn't pray as much, doesn't donate as much, but she is good to her neighbors and to people. As Allah commanded, he said, She is in Jannah. Another woman entered hellfire because she trapped a cat. She didn't feed it, nor did she let it go out to eat from what Allah provided her. Yani, only Allah knows really specifically who enters and who doesn't. But in general, you are in danger. In general, the brothers as well, I'm sorry about that to say, who shave their beards are also in danger. You are at risk, risking it. And it's like when a person passes a red light, drives past a red light. You are at risk. Either there is a camera, or a police may see you, or you may be reported, or you may not. You may get away with it. person who shaves their beard of the men, it is a fard. And a woman who takes off her hijab, which is also a fard. You are placing yourself at risk, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't place yourself in risks. Another question. Is it permissible to pluck your eyebrows? Just clean it up, not remove the whole thing. My eyebrows, as a man, I'm not allowed to pluck them either. So what about the woman? The Prophet wasallam said, Allah curses the woman who plucks her eyebrows and the woman who plucks them for her. And the woman who tattoos another woman, the woman who, does, who gets it tattooed for herself. And the woman who files her teeth or makes them wider in order to look nicer just for nothing like that. She is cursed. So you said pluck your eyebrows. Then you said just clean it up, not remove the whole thing. Well, cleaning up involves plucking. So if, remove, if cleaning up involves plucking, then it's the same thing, sister, isn't it? Or brother? However, I would like to relieve you with one thing. In a case of extreme necessity, you're allowed to pluck your eyebrows, such as if you are, happen to be a woman, and this is very rare, a woman, obviously, who has abnormal eyebrows. Then Allah does not oppress you. He allows you to pluck enough to look, make them look normal. Not to pluck them to make them look like models ink or something. And also you're allowed to pluck between the eyebrows. Right? In the Arabic term, the eyebrows are the ones directly above the eyes. So you can clean up what's above your nose. But above the eye, this is a, something which Allah takes offense to. Because as though you are altering Allah's creation, altering Allah's art. Yeah. So be careful of that. Ten minutes. Lots of the brothers go to watch the football. Allah uh, I've advised my husband not to go, but he doesn't listen. I don't feel it's a place for Muslims. The music is very loud, the cheerleaders, etc. are going off. I'm an extremely jealous wife. I believe I have this right. 
Please advise my husband and brothers. May Allah reward you, Jannah. Jazakumullahu khayran. Okay, I'll split it into little sections because some things I agree and some things I don't. Um, lots of brothers go to watch uh, the football. <clears throat> I don't think a lot of them do, inshallah. I, as far as I know, I think a lot of them... Yeah, a lot of them do actually, yeah. but not the religious ones. I'm talking about the religious ones. But uh, if you do go to the football, first of all, brothers and sisters, yani, obviously it's a haram environment because there's music and cheerleaders, just like there is on television or in the market or anywhere else that you go. The only difference is that when you go for a necessity and music has to be there and you can't avoid it, that's different to when you go directly to the football and you know that the environment is not um, good over there. You get a person who's sitting next to you drinking alcohol and going off his head. Women uh, sitting next to you and also screaming foul language when they're very... And the man loves to look at that. You know, I mean, a lot of men who have evil hearts... Yeah, I mean, they go there, some of them, to have that pleasure. I mean, when you ask them, why can't you just watch it on television? They say, no, we have to go there because we have to live the moment and scream. That's what one person said to me. He goes, brother, what do you think I go there? I, go, I can't hear anything. I can't really see what's going on down there. But I love to scream and swear at this player and swear at that player, just like everyone else. F you and F this and F that. No, this is what happens. It's a place of fahisha. Avoid the places which the shaitan hangs around in, my dear brothers. Now it says here as well, I, uh, I, have extreme, I am an extremely jealous wife. <clears throat> I have to comment on that, my dear sister. Because uh, one of the problems that can exist between a relationship is being too jealous yani, un unnecessarily. Yani, there has to be trust between each other. If there's no trust, there's really no relationship. And I emphasize this, Wallahi al-Azim. There has to be trust. And by him going to the footy, yani, is not taking your right away, no. If he provides you with other time, he's not taking your right away. He's actually taking his own right away. By placing himself in a place which Allah hates. Don't have extreme jealousy. Tune it down a bit. Tone it down a bit, inshaAllah. Because if you have extreme jealousy, goodness, it'll only get worse. And you're living in Australia here, it's, it'll only even get even worse and worse and worse. And there will be times where your husband, your husband is probably completely innocent. And you will uh, slander him with things that he is innocent of. And on a day of judgment, he may complain to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about you. Are you willing to take that risk? However, say you, are, you know you're halal and haram and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the best. You know, if, uh, if you don't want me as a wife, inshallah, you know... There are other means. But if you want me as a wife, Alhamdulillah, you know, you've, Alhamdulillah, I will protect you and help protect you from hellfire and so on. And I tell you a story about Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. Uh, a man, a man uh, was in his house and uh, his wife began to shout, you know, disrespectfully to him, which is really not good from a woman. It's, it's something which Allah really hates. She, but she screamed and she's weak. So he went to complain to Umar radiallahu anhu. What's he going to do? As soon as he came close to his house, he heard Umar al-Khattab's wife yelling. And then he tried to walk away, but Umar al-Khattab went out and, and caught him. He said, you've come for something. He said, no, no, it's okay. He said, no, Allah, you're going to ask me, I'm going to help you. He said, well, this is my state. And I, when I found that your state is like that, I thought, well, who am I? So Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu said to him this. This is how they thought. And this is how you men should think as well. He said, She is my partner in life. She washes my clothes. She looks after my children. 
She prepares my meals. She guards my chest. She guards my secrets behind me, and she saves me from hellfire. Yani, my temptations don't take me in a haram place. Meaning, if you know a bad thing about her, think about all the other good things that she has. But jealousy, my dear sister and brothers, wallahi, most jealousies, most of them, if not all of them, lead to divorce. If not divorce, you'll have a very ugly life. Turn down the jealousy. Yes, be jealous, but not that, not that much. Not that much. Uh, assalamu alaikum, alaikum assalam. The men get... The men get... <clears throat> ah, the men get hur al-ayn. Do women get something similar? And can they change their minds about the man they are with? So do they have multiple choices? Please advise. I'm sure this sister yani, asked it out of pure intention, inshallah. Because we consider that when a sister asks this question, uh, you know, you're still in this life, you're not in Jannah yet, and you're already desiring multiple choices. You know what I mean? So be careful about that. Now, you asked if you can get hur uh, men in Jannah, in other words. Uh, yes, I think you can, because Ibn al-Qaim ibn Taymiyyah comment about that. And they said, because Allah says in the Qur'an, لَهُمْ مَا أَنفُسُهُمْ Whatever their soul desires and tempts for. And Allah did not place conditions. So insha'Allah, you may get your man in Jannah. If you don't want your husband um, that you are with, I don't know, Allahu A'lam. But what I can say to you is this. In Jannah, Allah satisfies everyone. Satisfaction. What do you want more than that? You're completely satisfied. And you wish for things and you wish and you wish until finally there's no more wishes. And you are completely satisfied. Allah gives you ideas more and more and more and then He shows you Himself. So inshallah you'll be satisfied, don't worry. Another question, if a person misses on some prayers purposely out of laziness but have a great fear of Allah and death as they are, as they or will they be the dwellers of heaven? Allah Akbar. Yani if they have fear of Allah, inshallah they will enter Jannah. They will. Yani by not praying one prayer out of laziness or two or three, doesn't make you a dweller of hellfire forever. You may be punished. Purposefully, yes, there is a sin for it. But there is always tawbah. And read, listen to Ahmad the Repenter. You will know what I'm talking about in tawbah. Do we have to follow a madhab? Brothers, why don't you read the questions before you give them to me? <laughs> Sorry about that. Do we have to follow the madhab or can we use our own intellect to understand the Qur'an and the sunnah? Um, what? It bads... I don't understand the last part. But in general, <coughs> yes, you can follow a madhab. Who said you can't? Yani, people who study in Medina, Munawwara, or any Sharia school, they grab a certain madhab and they teach it. For example, in Medina, they study the Hanbali madhab. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahmatullah alayh, was a Maliki. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahmatullah, was a Maliki. However, there's a small difference, and you know what I'm about to say. Nobody, no one, not a single being, no matter how knowledge they are, how knowledgeable they are, is to be followed blindly without some investigations, with whatever you have ability to investigate in. So if you are an old grandmother who does not know how to read and write, doesn't understand anything, 
but goats and sheep as she was raised, then it is sufficient for her for a sheikh who is trustworthy and seems to be sincere. And you can see the signs on him. And he constantly says Quran and Sunnah Hadith for her just to say, a sheikh, is this allowed? And he says, yes, that's it. That's enough for her. However, someone, I give an example of myself, for example, I consider myself a student of knowledge and I'm able to read Arabic and research in some hadiths and read what scholars have commented on certain hadiths that are fabricated and so on. I have to go to that length. Where I stop, I stop. And then I choose a certain, yani, if, I, if, if it's not clear, and it's yani, rare to be not clear, if it's something is very unclear and there is a, 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 yani, a, a difference of opinion, then you follow what your heart is content with to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or you can go back to the madhab until you find something which is greater evidence. Yani if I come to you right now and I say a hadith, and this hadith is sahih, and it's in Bukhari, and it's very clear as the sun, and you have understood it, and then you say to me, but my madhab says something else, so I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to follow that. Then my dear brother or sister, yani unfortunately, and with, I say it as it is, you have made that madhab your prophet. You have made Malik or Hanbali or Abu Hanifa your prophet. Because they themselves are innocent from that. They say, don't, don't follow us blindly. If the hadith is, is sahih and sah, then it is our madhab. This is what we've been trying to do. Which means that they lack some knowledge. Sometimes not all the hadith have, have been brought to them. In time of Bukhari, he was after Imam Abu Hanifa, for example. There were hadiths he, he discovered that still existed and were sahih and they didn't know of them. So it's not a condition, my dear sisters and brothers. Says, Salam alaikum alaikum salam. What do you propose as to how, how we Muslims should keep up the enthusiasm for, um, for new deen? Uh, Always recite the Qur'an and try to understand it. Every day have a wird, which means some type of a dhikr which you always say. Or have 10 minutes a day or half an hour a day where you read the Qur'an. And try to understand it. Make times in your day for Allah. If you don't make a certain time in the day for Allah, you will forget Allah and your enthusiasm will go down. Even if you pray. When you pray, because prayer can come an automatic thing, a mechanical thing. And you don't know why you're praying and what you've just done or how many rukas you've done anyway. You need to always, always try to also learn new things. Read. Ask. Be around religious people as much as you can. And be around religious people as much as you can. Make dua. Try to always, and, and if all of that doesn't work, go back to the basics. The basic of how, of what makes a Muslim, what makes a person a Muslim. And that is the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many of us make a time? in the night or in the day, to just spend time to think about Allah's creation, contemplate about how the stars are up there, subhanAllah, or about how the earth moves, or watching a video about uh, birds and things like that, and, and, and sort of learn how, to, um, how Allah's creation is. I remembered birds because Abu Hamza, who was sitting here, has a tape about birds, and I really want to watch it. I've been at his house for two days, and he hasn't put it on for me. Maybe tomorrow, inshallah. And uh, so creation of Allah. Think about it. Contemplate about it. It'll make your iman firm again. Wallah, it'll do something to your heart. You'll feel that tingle inside your heart as soon as you do it. Investigate and, tr and keep moving and looking and 
striving, Iman goes up and Iman goes down. Don't worry. So long as you're still in your compulsory things. How can the Muslim show the non-believers that Islam is a complete way of life? And spiritually, politically, uh, inshallah, we'll, we'll sit together and we'll discuss this, inshallah. Everything has its own way. But really, I, I try to say to you, try if, and, and concentrate on Tawheed when you talk to them. Allah's oneness, and you show them the good character from yourself. It depends what the non-Muslim is talking about. Another question. Are all the good dreams from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I saw that I was taken... Okay, this is a dream that I have to interpret. Uh, I'm not good at doing it, brothers and sisters. But well, let's go for it. I saw that I was taken to a higher level where there was a tree so big it covered the scene. A beautiful man approached me and said, Come. I then inquired of someone. What about such and such? He then replied, You may intercede for 70 others. Subhanallah. Could this mean what I presume at all or not? This was shown to me exactly after Fajr prayer and I had returned from Hajj. Give me your interpretation, brother, please, so that I too may have hope. I wish you I was in your place, my dear brother. This is, of course, certainly a dream from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And maybe this does mean what you are thinking. Another question. Every lecture I go, I go to, I hear about men and the women of heaven that they get. And as you know, Allah has created the women with jealousy. And it is sometimes hard to think about your husband with beautiful women in heaven. Will the woman also have handsome men? And also, what advice can you give to a woman who is very jealous of her, um, of her al-an, yani her husband? <laughs> We go back, I think it was in 1998, I think um, we had our first, our first discussion about opening up uh, a place for the youth, uh, for the youth here. And um, was myself, uh, Jalal and Walid, uh, who were part of the, the Bain Shura in the centre at the moment. And um, like we always had it in us, like what are we going to do for the youth, what are we going to do? And there's always like a lot of talk, but no action as usual, but, you know, the ummah's like this. It's fun, um, like they had told me before, they've been discussing it for many years as well, like trying to get something happen. So we said, Khalas, next week, we'll all meet up. So we got on the phone, and mashallah, we had about, I think, 20, 24 brothers in the first uh, meeting. First meeting was in a, in a factory unit. Um, the brother has got a, a polyurethane spraying uh, factory, whatever you want to call it. And um, yeah, we met upstairs, there's about 24 brothers. I remember we bought all these chips and drinks and that was the most important thing <laughs> I think at the moment then. And uh, yeah, we sort of sat down, we discussed what we wanted to do, how we were going to do it, we voted who was the Amir Secretary, all this sort of stuff. And I think we met um, as you know, in that place for about four weeks. And then the, the owner of the actual um, factory said you can take a house, which is 49 Elm Road. Um, you can start doing all your meetings there and use it as a, as a centre for until like you want to sell it or renovate. Alhamdulillah, in that, in that place, we ended up staying there for about two years in Omrod. Alhamdulillah, like we met the brothers from Isna and Melbourne, and a few other brothers, like we started uh, hosting uh, international speakers, and sort of we just took on from there. And I guess, Alhamdulillah, we've come a long way. Um, in Sydney, I guess still, Odyssey is not known 
like as as it should. But that's in terms of because we only got like a little shop front. Where if we had a bigger place, like it's hard for us to find lecture halls, hard for us to find places to do um, lessons. Alhamdulillah, at the moment uh, we've got two lessons a week for sisters. We've got three lessons for brothers. We opened up a Quran school like on the weekend for um, kids from five to fifteen. So with what we got, Alhamdulillah, we're doing a lot. So. Information, books, tapes, videos that, that I saw came from the center, yeah. Um, plus, when I became a Muslim, they, they really helped me with the books. They gave me all these books and Qurans and, you know, they bombarded me with them. <laughs> but it was really helpful, yeah. Um, I've got all my information through the center. Um, I still do, you know, we, every now and then I go to the center and get a video or when we get, uh, we get lectures, you know, the brothers, so we have a stand with um, literature there. And the brothers, mashallah, that work in this center and have built the center and have sweated and gone out for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is very, 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 very good. Well, life wasn't for these brothers, I reckon only God knows where I'll end up. Or God knows where I'll be. Probably back in jail. It was it was only people. It was only my essential association with IDCA through my brother-in-law once again. Um, you know, my other you know blessing for, for everything he's done for me. Um, you know, they assisted me so much. I had a sense of belonging because I didn't have a sense of belonging out there in the real world in my working life, um, even with my family because I wasn't I was a stranger to them now. Um, and you know, IDCA was there. The brothers were there. Uh, I look forward just even to the meeting, uh, when we have the meetings on uh, Tuesdays or, or Wednesdays or whatever, because at home you think to yourself, you, you know, you've done, it. You, you've done enough for Allah. But when you come and you meet the brothers, they're pushing you, you haven't done enough. So you go, you go home on a high and you want, you want to help your family. Obviously helping your family, you know, yourself, your family and, 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 and your relatives and so on. And you just want to bring them in and to get them to feel what you're feeling. The centre... It means a lot to me, some heaps for me. I thank all the brothers, especially Sam, um, all the brothers, just everyone just helped me out. Um, especially with the you know lectures. The lectures have been a great help to me. I've learnt a lot. Um, my Islamic knowledge has grown, alhamdulillah, from all these lectures and stuff. And just working with the brothers, the brotherhood in this centre is just so Mashallah, great and powerful. It just inspires me, you know, just to bring up my kids like this and make them start a center like that. It's just humble. It's been such a great help for me. When I say the youth, I die, honestly. It just uh, brings me to tears sometimes. You know, growing up in a country like this, uh, it's very hard. And they got no guidance, and we got no tarbi, in, in, especially in Sydney, or I'm not sure about Melbourne and other places. But growing up, it's very hard to me. If, if I had a role model earlier, I don't think I would have got lost as uh, like I did. Because I was uh, in prison for two years, and while well, I am in prison, you got no one to help you, or no one to look after you, or no one. You got nothing in there at all. You're on your own. And I sort of realised when inside prison that I always constantly, constantly asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help me and guide me through and take me through and keep me out of trouble and all this kind of stuff. And it's from it's from there that I realised that then when I came out because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took away my freedom for two years, 
I came back out, get back, you, you kick back into normal lifestyle again, and you sort of forget that Allah helped you and guided you through these two years and made made these two years easy for me. And then we started going back on the wrong track again, back on the wrong track. And then Alhamdulillah, these brothers came and uh, reminded reminded me and invited me to lectures and invited me to come hang out with them. And, and Alhamdulillah, just Allah guided me, Alhamdulillah. Any Muslim in today's society needs to be attached to a particular centre, whether it's not on a... On a you know, My plans are anyway is to have a full functional centre like um, as you want to say nine to nine like opening hours in terms of educating the youth for instance they come out of school or they dropped out of school like we'll train them instead of the kafar training you know have them get jobs get them computer skills other things like this um, having a studio don't, um, making videos or CDs all these other things having a gym daytime for sisters, nighttime for brothers, like a full functional thing, so... We currently have a very small centre. I mean, as I see it, it's just a point, a point where we can communicate, a point, a location where people can communicate, touch base with someone Islamic, um, know that they can actually source some Islamic literature. Um, however, um, that's not what I believe um, is what the community requires. The community requires something larger. Alhamdulillah, the brothers have uh, bought or put a deposit down on a nice big uh, centre in Regis Park which uh, we're hoping to raise some money so we can uh, open this place up because uh, well, the amount of good that we're doing in this, in this little centre here we, we need to expand more and uh, we need to bring and remind people and bring them back to the Deen. Something as, as now we're trying to purchase inshallah um, a place where, where people can gather where we can, we can educate the masses um, where children can, can bond, um, where, where we can have libraries, where we can have information technology such as computers, so kids can be in an environment that is safe, that is Islamic, and they can educate themselves. Have somewhere for them to hang out instead of a snooker room in, in, the, in, in the city and so on, at least you reach out for them and there's English and they feel comfortable, somewhere where they can stay all day. If they jig school, which is not good, but if they do, they can go somewhere. And I think that's the first stepping stone. And then once you've got the youth, which I didn't have a place to do, inshallah, this should provide that for the youth. Um, a place where if someone, if someone is distressed, they know they can go to. I mean, if you look at youth today and, and the dilemma that we're in, it's no wonder we're in that dilemma because we're so selfish. We don't consider the needs of others.